One day, a lawyer was getting ready to give his final closing argument, and he was convinced that his client was going to be convicted. All the evidence was weighed against him, and he was being convicted of murder. And so the lawyer came up with a last-ditch effort. He said to the jury, within one minute, the man that you believe is dead is going to walk through that door. The jury back and they looked toward the door. And he waited about a minute. And he said, he's not coming. But you all had enough doubt to think that he might. So you must return a, ver a verdict of not guilty. Well, they went away, they came back. Foreman stood up and he said, guilty. And the lawyer's like, how can you do that? It's very reasonable. And, and, and he talked to the foreman and he said, you guys all looked. And the foreman said, yes, but your client didn't. Reasonable doubt. You know, we have a lot of trials, juries. We have a lot going on in this country. People on trial for things. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called God in the Dock. And this is one paragraph from that essay. The ancient man approached God as the accused approaches his judge. And just think of what that means in your mind as the accused approached the judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. The modern man is the judge and God is in the dock. He's quite a kindly judge, that modern man, if God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease. If so, the modern man is willing to listen. The trial may even end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is, man is on the bench and God is in the dock. In the account we're gonna read today, that is what is happening. The Israelites are putting God on trial. God is the one who's being accused. You pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, please open your word to us. Help us to learn. Help us to understand you, ourselves, our situations in a better light. Lord, equip and encourage us in all areas of life to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Today, I want to spend some time talking about doubt. As the Israelites put God on trial, I wanna talk about doubt. And my first question is, is it ever reasonable to struggle with doubt? When it comes to thinking about God and our relationship to God, is it ever reasonable to struggle with doubt? Yes. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Exodus chapter 17. 
Exodus chapter 17. Is it ever reasonable to struggle with doubt? Exodus 17, starting in verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. We read the account last week where they struggled with having no food and they cried out against God and they grumbled and we spent a lot of time talking about grumbling, but then God feeds them. Now they are moving out from that place. But according to the commandment of the Lord, So here's a group that has grumbled against God, but they've changed, they've listened, they're being fed, they've received what God has given to them, and now they are moving out according to the commandment of God. They're acting in obedience. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Is it okay, is it reasonable to struggle with doubt? Yes, and here's a reason why. Life is not going to be easy just because you are being faithful. Life is not going to lose its challenges just because we are being obedient. These guys, they have, in a sense, repented. They've accepted the provision of God. They've gotten the message, and now they're being obedient, and they're walking out in obedience. And yet, when they get to this place, there's not even water to drink. Because even if you are being faithful, even if you are being obedient, you are still very likely to face challenges and struggles in life. Think with me about some of the people in scripture that faced challenges. Job, who was called the most righteous man on the planet, and he still faced challenges. Daniel, I mean, just read the book of Daniel. He's obedient all the way through that book, and yet all the challenges Daniel faces. Paul, I mean, think of the apostle Paul. Talk about a guy who goes through a whole lot of struggles and yet remains obedient. Or how about the epitome, Jesus? I mean, all those other people, while Job is being described as most righteous and and Paul is righteous and Daniel's righteous, you gotta assume they're still fallen people. Like at some point, they sinned. Jesus never did and yet still I mean, just read the Gospels. He is accused, he is brutalized, he is rejected. I mean, it doesn't matter that you are obedient when it comes to challenges. They're still going to be there. Is it okay to have some doubts in our struggles? Yes, because life is still challenging even when we're being obedient. I'll show you another thing that makes it okay to have some doubt. These guys, when they see there's no water, they are afraid. They've been overwhelmed by fear. Fear is not always rational. I'll tell you one of the things that I am afraid of 
and there is no rational reason for it. And my response is not rational. Cockroaches. I mean, I see this cockroach, and here's what I know rationally. I can just step on it. I mean, it's not like it's going to rise up and attack me or something. But I'll tell you what, when I see it, I have an uncontrolled response of the hair standing up on my arms in the back of my neck. And I'm like, I just can't even, like, I, I can't seem to even make myself. And the idea of reaching out and touching a cockroach, again, it did. But that is not a controlled thing because fear is not always rational. And they are afraid in this moment. They are afraid of not having water. They're afraid of dying in the desert. Well, guess what? When we are following the Lord, even if we're being obedient, even if we're doing the things we're supposed to, even if we have faith, we can also still have some fear that challenges our faith. Fear and faith can actually go together. There are instances one of, think of Peter when he's walking on the water. He believes, he's walking, he begins to fear, he falls in, but he doesn't completely lose his faith. He fell in, but he doesn't completely lose his faith. He still follows Christ. There will be times where we will have fear and it makes us doubt. That doesn't mean we've completely lost faith. I love this example. I don't know if it's actually real or not, so I'm just putting that out there. Um, this is the story that I read, but unfortunately I've read it in multiple ways, and so I'm thinking it probably was made up. It's still true, whether it was made up or not. Not, sorry. <laughs> it's now true because I'm saying it. Um, what I mean is what it illustrates is still true, whether it actually happened in this way or not. Um, here's the story. A guy in a speech class in college was supposed to give a persuasive speech. He decided he had a way of doing it and he wanted to give a speech on faith and doubt. And so this is what he did for his speech. He got up and he began to describe to the class how a pendulum works. He even illustrated it. He took the chalk on a chalkboard, put a a thing in it, string, rock, made it go back and forth, and this is what he was showing, is that where he dropped it from, a pendulum will never get higher than that point. Because of gravity, because of friction, it will always go just a hair lower each time until eventually it would stop. It can never go higher than the point that it started at. He said, now, do you all believe that? Yeah, yeah, we believe it, the teacher. Yeah, you made... Well, the teacher then started walking up as if the speech was done. Kid said, oh, I'm not done yet. You all believe that, right? Okay. So, teacher, would you get in a chair right here on top of this desk? And then hanging from the center of the class on a beam is a 100-pound weight on a rope. Pulled it all the way back to his face and said, okay, do you believe this lesson? Yes, I believe, are you sure? Yes. And then he let it go. And the pendulum swung all the way up, and when it hit its point there and started coming back, you've never seen somebody move so fast out of that chair. <laughs> so can you even doubt science? Absolutely, because fear is very strong. 
It is stronger than our rationality at times. It is strong. And when you and I get in those moments where we are afraid, that pendulum is coming back and it may not hit us, but we don't know that. We should know it, but we don't. In those moments, we can have doubt. We can struggle legitimately with doubt. There are reasonable times in our lives where we do not need to beat ourselves up because we're not sure if God's gonna come through because we're, we're struggling with whether or not this is gonna work out. There are times where it is reasonable to have doubt. There are a number of people in scripture that go through it. Abraham laughed at God. And do you remember that story? And yet, God didn't give up on Abraham. God still used Abraham to become father of the faith. Remember the story of Gideon? And he takes the fleece and puts it out there and he says, okay, God, if, if you really want me to do this, then make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And then that's not enough for him. Okay, now let's flip that, God, let's do it one more time. And I remember in college, like Gideon was held up as this example of faith and that's how we were supposed to find God's will, which is so ridiculous. That's Gideon doubting. I mean, especially you see it in the second time. You know, it's a, wait, I'm not sure, God, I know you just said exactly what I said, but let's try it again. Um, there's a lot of doubt that goes on. John the Baptist, when John gets thrown in prison, do you remember the account where he sends people to Jesus to say, now are you sure you're the one? That's John doubting, because what Jesus is doing is not really what John thought was happening, and John's in prison getting ready to die. And it's like, are you sure you're the one? I'm not sure this is what's supposed to be going on. But Jesus doesn't get ticked at John for that. Think of Thomas. I mean, Thomas stands before the resurrected Christ and still is not quite ready to believe. I mean, it doesn't take him long. But when the disciples say to him, he's here, it's like, no, we won't believe you. And yet Jesus doesn't get mad at him. There is doubt. There's even a prayer. Hey, some of you, there's a book called Jude in your Bible. It's at the very end almost. It's one chapter. Um, nobody ever teaches out of it, but it's this little tiny book. But in that book, at the end, in verse 23, he actually tells the believers to pray for those who doubt. Hey, it is all right, church, when we struggle with doubt sometimes. Don't, you don't have to struggle with guilt. You don't have to wonder, well, maybe I'm not even a Christian because I'm not sure. Sometimes we struggle with doubt and there are reasonable reasons to do so. Um, one more. When you struggle with doubt, this is something that is very true in scripture. They don't ever seem to struggle with whether God is real. They struggle with whether God will come through. They struggle with whether God cares, but whether God will support them. Even the passage that we're reading, when we get to the end, the question is, is, is Yahweh for us? It's never a does he exist. It's kind of like when your kids, your kids never doubt you exist. They just doubt whether you'll let them have the sleepover. They just doubt whether you'll support them in something. They don't doubt you exist. You know, this was true, um, so, I was not raised in a Christian home. I came to faith when I was 17. Um, God's existence was not ingrained in me in the same way that it was ingrained in my wife. She grew up. She 
it was one of those questions where you would say, and, and when she went, she grew up Catholic, and when she went from the Catholic church over to the Bible church with me, there was always these questions like, well, when were you saved? Give us the date and the time. You know, you need to know these things. And, and, and initially, it kind of bothered her. And it bothered her because it felt like, well, I don't, I don't know my time. And then eventually it was like, wait, well, I don't have a time. I don't have a day. I grew up knowing Jesus. Like, I can't tell you a time I don't. I can't tell you a time I didn't know God. And, and one of the ways that that came out is I remember struggles for me that at times they bordered on, is God real? For my wife, I remember the struggles being more like, what is God doing? Like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you coming through here? It was very much like the Psalms. My wife was like the Psalms and I was like a pagan. That was what it was. And, and, and that, because in the Psalms, you see lots of struggle with, about God. Oh God, how long? Like, when are you, you going to stop this? Why are you treating us like this? What you don't see is, I guess you're not there. That doubt, once you move to that part of it, things get harder. Um, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, I mean, chapter 11, verse 6, it talks about those who come to God must believe he exists. You can believe all kinds of things after that and God can work with you. But if you don't have that part of it, it gets more challenging because you don't have a foundation to work with. But man, if you can accept that God exists, your God is big enough to handle all kinds of struggles and doubts and questions and, and let me wrestle with things. In the same way at the beginning I said to you guys, if you have something wrong, you can come and talk to me. If you have something wrong, you can go talk to your God. You can cry out to him because he's big enough to handle it. Is it reasonable to have doubts sometimes in our faith? Yes. Here's the flip side. Are our doubts sometimes unreasonable? Is there a point where our doubts can go too far? Look back at your text. Right in the middle of verse two. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? And make no doubt about it, they're coming after Moses. I mean, in a moment, he's gonna say, God, they're getting ready to stone me. I mean, they're like, they're bending down to grab the stones. Definitely, they're coming after Moses. However, Moses turns it to where it actually is at. Second question, why do you test the Lord? Why do you test the Lord? See, they're going beyond struggling with doubt. They're moving to something else. They're going from reasonable to unreasonable doubts. Why do you test the Lord? Uh, many of you will know who Andy Hill is. Uh, he plays drums sometimes, he does soundboard sometimes. Um, we had dinner with them, and in the midst of dinner, we were just talking about various things, and. Andy used to work at Apple, and he was just one of the guys that worked in the, you know, meeting with people, and, and, and he did it for years. And anybody who has ever been in that kind of business, you know how frustrating it is when somebody comes into the store and they start yelling at you for something that's wrong with the product, or they're yelling at you for something the company has done. 
And Andy just, he was talking about how, you know, this thing would happen all the time for us. And then he goes, and at one point, he said, sir, you're not upset with me. You're upset with Apple. And I thought, what a great response. I'm wondering if I can use that. <laughs> I mean, church people get upset with me all the time. I'm just wondering, I can go, sir, you're not upset with me. You're upset with Jesus. <laughs> and I even thought maybe I could say, sweetheart, you're not upset with me. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd be testing God if I did that. But there's this, there's this flip that Moses does where he says, why are you quarreling with me? And more importantly, why are you testing God? And now, chapter 16, what we just covered, I don't know if you remember this or not, but God said, I'm giving them the manna to test them that they may know that I am faithful, that they, he was testing them. They flipped it. What happens when you flip it? What happens when, as C.S. Lewis says, you put God in the dock? One translation of this, which I think is a great translation, is they put God on trial. Why are you putting God on trial? When you begin to test God, when you move from trusting to testing him, when you move from reasonable doubt to unreasonable doubt, we are going too far. Hey, look what happens. Verse three, but the people thirsted there for water. They don't care. We are afraid, we want our water, we are frustrated, we are getting irrational. They thirsted for water and the people grumbled because they didn't learn less than the first time and that's important. Against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt, up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, which I can't help but wonder, from a practical point of view, if that's not, not just witnesses, but like before they can stone you, grab some elders and put them around you. Not like bodyguards. <laughs> they won't stone the elders probably. Just walk with them. And take in your hand the staff, this is important for later, with which you struck the Nile, and go on Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. It's unfortunate because this is really their last stop before they get to their destination. Like they couldn't even make it this last stop. Um, and you just see this as they're plodding along all these times where they're just grumbling and grumbling and they just won't trust him until this last moment where it's like, we're almost there. They still can't get it. You shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Um, one of the ways you can see that they have gone too far, that this is too much, that there is a point where our doubts become testing God. Not reasonable struggles, but testing God is because when you get to the end of this account, instead of a victory, God names this place something that for all generations, even today, 3,500 years or so later, we are still gonna talk about this place that is named because they tested God. He did not want them to forget it. 
This is the way that it is said in Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, you know, very much Egypt language, as in Mirabah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test, and here it is. You wanna know how you test God? And put me to proof, though they had seen my work. Here's where the flip comes. You see, there is reason at times for us to have some doubts. There's, re- there, there's fears, there's challenges, there's like I'm doing the best I can and yet this is still coming. There are reasonable times for us to have doubts. And yet at some point, God has said, and this is what he says to them right now, I provided for you here, 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 and now you're at this point right here and you still don't think I'm gonna provide for you? At some point, you are testing me. At some point, you've got to learn the lesson that I have provided for you and I'm gonna keep providing for you. Because at some point, you just get to the where you're going, you're gonna do it again? I mean, this is Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness where the devil is trying to get Jesus to do this very thing. Where he says to him, hey, the scripture says that if you leap off this building, the angels will keep your feet and your, your body from crushing to the ground. Just let them rescue you. And Jesus says, I will not put God to the test. He's provided for me as often as I have needed him to provide for me. I'm not gonna jump out and try and force his hand. I'm not going to doubt for a moment that he could provide for me because I've seen him do it. On the other hand, we see the people who do. I mean, everybody know that Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land? I mean, do you know how tragic that is? I mean, that's Shakespearean tragic right there. I mean, think about it. This is the guy who led them out of the Exodus. I mean, this is the guy who was the first like, leader of the nation of Israel. And he does not get to go into the promised land because he went against God one too many times. Another one, Zacharias from the New Testament. Do you remember that old faithful man? He's John the Baptist's father. Zacharias is a righteous guy. I mean, that's how he's described. And yet, when the angel comes and says, your prayers have been answered, he goes too far, and he is struck deaf and mute. Now, he still gets answered prayer. He still gets his child. And, and his life probably changed dramatically from that point. But there is a, there's a line There is a point where our doubts move from doubting to testing God. They move from a reasonable saying, Lord, I need help. Lord, I'm I'm afraid. Um, And they move into, God, I just don't, I'm not looking at anything you've done in the past. I can't hold on to any of these things. And you just need to prove yourself again. Prove yourself again. Prove yourself again. There's a point where our doubts can become testing. 
And that is too far. Sometimes your kids, they're perfect illustrations of this. You know, when you have the like, you just have great patience. You say, go clean your room. And then you go look and then, okay, I told you to clean your room. Come on, go clean your room. I told you to go clean your room. I've shown you how to clean your room. Last time I helped you clean your room. Go clean your room. Go clean your room. I mean, there's just just points where, or, and, and this is almost in a way, if it's not so frustrating, it's almost painful. Trying to teach my kid how to swim. Like, I have, I have kept him alive for six years. <laughs> I have fed him. I have clothed him. I have given him a roof over his head. When he was sick, he went to the doctor. I mean, all these things. I have kept him from running out into traffic and dying for six years. But when I say, I will hold you in the water and you will not die... And I mean, my son has really high pitched. Like, it can break eardrums. And you're just like, what is wrong with you? You know, and you just, you have this, you're so frustrated. Because you're like, why will you not trust me? Like, every other area, I'm taking care of you. Why will you not trust me? And there's a part of you going, do you not know how much I love you? Like, there is no way I'm ever going to drop you in this water for you just to drown. At some point, our doubts become testing. At some point, we've lost sight that God has been providing, and now we're just, prove yourself, God. I'm not even gonna try to have faith. There are times where it's reasonable to doubt, and there are times where our doubts become unreasonable. What do we do with our doubts, period? I don't have a fix-all, by the way. If I did, then we'd have no doubts but I will give you some things to consider just quickly. Number one, here's what Moses does. He immediately cries out to God. What happens in the Psalms, they go to him. They don't deny the doubts, they just cry out. God, I need help. Cry out, pray. I, I, even Jesus in the garden. Jesus in the garden wanted something else. He did not want to go through with this. And he comes to the Father and says, if you'll do this a different way, cry out. Number two, that staff, that staff is the one that he held over the waters that everybody knows parted the Red Sea. He says, take that same staff. I want them to remember what I've done. And then he takes that same staff and he gives them water. First it was water for salvation to go through. Now it's water to live off of. Sometimes we just need to find those things that help us remember the ways that God has been faithful. I mean, I kind of started a list for Aaron and me, and I mean, that list could go on and on and on, from our kids to jobs to homes to, and it's not that everything worked out exactly perfectly, or everything was like how we may have wanted it, but we look back and go, wow. I mean, God just kept coming through, even when we didn't think he would. Make your list. Remember the ways that God, don't be that person where it's like proof after proof after proof and I just forget all that because it's like I have amnesia to God's faithfulness. 
remember. Um, the other thing Moses does in this case is he acts in obedience. Um, even when he's not sure, I love how God does this. God doesn't just provide water. He goes, Moses, I want you to do a bunch of things. And then I want you to walk to a point. And then I want you to take this staff. And I mean, water has not come out yet. This is one of those, hey, Peter, step out onto the water first. Let's see if you can walk. I mean, this is Moses having to obey. One of the things you can do in your doubts, live the king's will. Start obeying, even when you're not sure. Obey right through the doubts. Number four, in the book of Lamentations, here's a reversal. God tested them. They then tested God. Here's what the book of Lamentations says. Test yourself. It says, test us. Let's test ourselves and then seek the Lord. Let's see what might be wrong in us before we go blaming him. And lastly, now end with this. Remember, and you've heard this before and it can sound cliche, but it's real. God wanted to use the manna to test them for their good. Here's maybe the best description. This is Deuteronomy 8. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that, listen to this, he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. That God's testing is for our good. You may actually be going through something that he does want you to go through because God's testing, when it is God's testing, is for our good. In 19, sorry, 19, 1799, that's a really big difference, a man named Conrad Reed discovered a 17-pound rock while fishing in Little Meadow Creek. So intrigued by the rock that he took it home. Same time, didn't really know what to do with it. So they used it as a doorstop for three years. In 1802, his father, John Reed, decided that he thought that lump was more than what they were using it for. He took it to a jeweler who identified it as a lump of gold. Worth, at that time, about $3,600. It is still one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rockies. But for three years, this thing just sat there. <laughs> All that value until it could be tested and the right person could show what the real value of it was. That is why God tests us. It is never to make us fall. It is never to hurt us. He is our heavenly father who loved us so much he gave his son. Every bit of testing that he brings into our life is intended to refine and to bring value out of who we are. Remember those things. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, every single one of us goes through struggles. We all have challenges, we all have questions. Sometimes it's really hard, 
Sometimes we're going through a good patch. But Lord, whether we're in it now or we're gonna come into it, Father, help us to, one, embrace how much you love us that we can struggle with our doubts. That it is okay to cry out to you, to know that sometimes we are afraid and, and to bring that to you. And at the same time, Lord, help us to never take for granted the provision you have given to us, the love you have shown us so that we get to the point where we are putting you to the test. Lord, keep us from that, rescue us from that. Help us always remember how much you love us, why you might test us, and the ways that you have come through for us time and time again, that we might serve you wholeheartedly. In Christ's holy name we ask it.